0: Great to be here as well uh, at Hope Central. Uh, This is, I've been missing for the last three weeks. I've been um, up at Hope North, and uh, it's been all about making space. Uh, making room for more people here and in Kingswood, and I want to tell you it's been astounding. I mean, God's maths are incredible. There's been no less people here, and there's been getting on for a hundred people up at, you know, including kids at Hope North. It's it's incredible. God's an amazing God. And this morning we're uh, unpacking the fourth in our series. Everyone's invited, and this morning is Making Room Sunday. And uh, today we've deliberately, the meeting is going to be shorter, we're not having anything on the rest of the day. It's all about making space, making room for people around us in our communities. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to go out for a walk, for us to invite people over for coffee, to have people around for lunch. And so Annie and I are having two of our neighbours around for lunch uh, 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 when Hope North finishes, when I finish preaching there, and that's really exciting, it's going to be really good, but it's not just about a day, it's about making room for people every day, because it's always about people, God is about people, he wants, he loves people so much, he loved the world so much, he sent his son for us, so uh, it's really exciting this morning, what God's going to do among us. And so, invited. I want to thank the worship band as well. They were great this morning, weren't they? It was great. It was really good this morning. Really enjoyed being amongst us. Seeing Joe Perrett, Star of Crete, Screen and Stage, and well, Oscar next, maybe. Great. It's great to see our young people leading us in worship. It's fantastic. It's what it does me so much good. So, we're going to read a passage together. This morning It's entitled, Something to Celebrate. This is what uh, we're going to read together. It's from Luke chapter 5, and the words will go behind me on the screen so you can follow it. This is what it says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a great banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." You know, this story has real resonance for me. Uh, I have a long-standing friend uh, called Matthew, and uh, we're going to refer to Levi that that Luke refers to. His other name is Matthew. Um, uh, We're going to refer to him as Matthew. Uh, It's uh, it's a name that has resonance for me. Um, I first met Matthew when he worked as a taxman for the Inland Revenue. Um, and he too, Matthew too, had had a personal encounter with, with Jesus which had changed the course of his life. One night, around 30 years ago, he was desperate and he went into his bedroom and he cried out to God. He said, God, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. And God did. And in that moment, He knew there was a God in heaven and that he had sent his son Jesus for him. And Matthew became a follower of Jesus. The rest is history. Matthew still works in tax. He throws great parties and he's still a follower of Jesus. And in three of the Gospels we encounter Matthew. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He wrote the first of our four Gospels that we recognize as the first of our four Gospels. It's named after him. Luke refers to his birth name, but for ease of reference, we're going to call him Matthew. His birth name was Levi, but we're going to call him Matthew because it's a name that we would uh, recognize. Lots of, maybe you've got friends called Matthew. And as the story opens, Matthew is at work. He's sitting at his toll booth. It was just another day at the office. He was collecting tax, probably on goods that were being brought through the territory, controlled by Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod was representing, was acting for the Romans, was king put in place by the Romans. And taxation was lucrative. In fact, taxation is lucrative today. I want to tell you that tax is a good thing you might not it uh, might not immediately straight it's a good thing but tax in this country pays for our national health service we have an amazing national health service pays for social services pays for our schools our education i want to say tax is a good thing and yet it's like marmite Because the supporters of the powers that be love it, sometimes those on the receiving end hate it. And the issue is, it's not the taxation, it's what they do with it. It's what's done with it by local and central government that uh, is the issue. And that's been the same over the centuries. It was the same in Matthew's day that we're reading about. Nothing has changed. Taxes were exorbitant. And they left ordinary people in Matthew's day impoverished. And so a career as a tax collector guaranteed to win you no friends, but it was cushioned by the fact that it would make you incredibly wealthy. Tax collectors were all tarred by the brush of being unprincipled and greedy. Their income came out of the commission they charged. They skimmed money off the top for themselves. And the more unscrupulous tax collectors took loads of money off the top. And no wonder ordinary people of the day despised them. They were the dregs of society. Matthew would have been on no one's Christmas card list. And the result for him was social alienation. And consequently, tax collectors withdrew from spending their time with normal people, everyday people, because people just didn't like them, didn't want to be around them, hated them. And so they withdrew to an enclave, their own little enclave, tax collectors. They became a strata of society on their own. The rich, the poor, and the tax collectors and sinners. And it's no different today. Our society is becoming increasingly more fractured and full of people who feel alienated. And when they feel alienated, they withdraw to their own groupings where they feel safe and understood. And this is what makes what Jesus did all the more astounding. It was Jesus who took the initiative. He crossed over social boundaries. He charged right through. He drove a whole horse and cart through the social taboos of the day. He didn't really care what people thought because people were too important to him. And as his people, the church, we should do the same. Are people that important to us? will we cross over will we break through social boundaries taboos to show the love of god to people you see jesus saw matthew and he crossed over and the greek word that luke uses for saw it doesn't mean he just saw him and recognized him it wasn't a quick glance Like I see lots of you here this morning and I recognize lots and lots of faces that I haven't seen for three weeks. It was much more than that. The word that Luke uses implies calm, continuous contemplation. It was the look. You know the look that you get sometimes. And when you get that look, it makes you feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? makes you feel uncomfortable. Stuart feels uncomfortable. (laughs) It makes you feel uncomfortable when you get the look. In my previous job, I was renowned for having a look that conveyed disdain, disapproval, unhappiness about something. Jesus looks at Matthew. Matthew would have felt really uncomfortable in the moment. But there was more to it than that. It wasn't just feeling uncomfortable. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the Son of God. He was holy. The Bible says that Jesus never sinned. And so when you were in the presence of Jesus, you were in the presence of holiness. And his presence started to make people feel uncomfortable. They felt, they loved being around it, but they were aware of their own grubbiness, their own attitudes that weren't quite right. Jesus had a way, a, a look of, of causing people to feel slightly unsettled, glad to be around him, but slightly unsettled. You remember the story of, uh, 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 of Peter, Earlier in this chapter, Peter has been out fishing with some of his friends and they caught nothing and, and then Jesus is there and Jesus says, throw the net out again and, and, G, uh, and Peter says, well, you know, he doesn't complain or moan and say, we've been fishing all night and caught nothing. He, he does what Jesus says, he throws the net out and they bring in this massive catch of fish. And in that moment, Peter knows that he's in the presence of God. In that moment, what does Peter say? Jesus, thanks for the fish. Can you tell me how to do it? He says, he falls on his knees and says, Lord, get away from me, I'm an unclean man. He knows he's in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus' presence is a wonderful thing. But Jesus' presence makes us start to realize that we're needy. We're broken inside. We need help. We need a saviour. We need someone to rescue us from ourselves. And we can't do it. I'm sure Matthew would have thought. Would have longed to get out of the situation he was in. Matthew would have been nervously wondering. What does Jesus want from me? What does he want from me? Actually... It wasn't what Jesus wanted from him. Matthew needed to know that there was something Jesus wanted to give him. The first thing I want to say is this. There was something worth receiving. You see, Matthew had been a taker all his working life. Everything involved looking after number one. Money was his God. He'd been ensnared by the love of money and he can't get out of it. He's despised by most people. His only friends are crooks and ne'er-do-wells. I'm sure he longed to get out of the twilight world that he was, found himself existing in. And suddenly Jesus comes and offers him a one-way ticket out. No, no doubt, it had been a long time since anyone did anything for Matthew for free. Jesus gives him a personal invitation. He didn't need to clean up his act first. Neither do you. Neither do you. Jesus doesn't expect us to clean up our act before we follow him. He just says, follow him. Matthew didn't need a period in quarantine. He just had to follow. In 1986, God broke into my life. I was a mess. I was like that guy Matthew. i ruined my life. And in a moment, Jesus called me to follow him again. And for the last 33 years, I want to tell you it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Jesus Christ has transformed my life. Matthew would have heard of Jesus. Everybody Everyone had heard of him around. But what would have been shocking to Matthew was that he came to him. You see, the the shocking thing is that nothing has changed. Jesus still comes to people whose lives are messed up. People suffering the consequences of broken friendships, marriages and homes. People controlled by the love of money and possessions, people on the fringes of society, people who deserve nothing, people like us. Jesus still comes and invites us to follow him. He's not bothered about how we got to the place he finds us in. He just throws us the life belt. He doesn't give us all the detail of where it will lead us. He doesn't answer all of our questions. He simply asks us to trust him and follow him. Following is an act that involves risk and cost. It's something one does, not simply what one thinks or believes. It's a quote from a guy called Mark Edwards in his commentary on Mark. Following is an act that involves risk and cost. It's something one does, not simply what one thinks or believes. Here's the question Will we respond like Matthew? Dare we do it? The Bible's littered with people who won't, but it's littered with people who do, and it transforms their lives. Jesus invites us to follow him. If you're here this morning and you're waiting for all the I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed, then you're going to be waiting for a long time because that's not the way God works. What have you got to lose? Here's the rub. Following Jesus is free and it's worth everything. Everything. And he's worth giving everything for. He is something worth everything. Have you ever had moments where you think, I'd give anything for that? What would you give anything for? The stories in the Bible of Esau who sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. People give their lives for virtually nothing these days. They throw them away, chasing relationships, chasing money, chasing all sorts of things. Have you done that? Have you given too much? Have you given yourself to something and wished that you hadn't? Jesus is worth everything. You see, Matthew wasn't swayed by the years of dead and harsh religion he'd been on the receiving end of. Maybe you've seen some of that. Matthew didn't let that stop him receiving the grace of God. He left everything behind to follow Jesus, and everything changed. The Apostle Paul puts it like this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Wonderful. Matthew was no longer the person he had been. He literally became a new creation, a new man in Christ. For him, his tax collecting days were over. Later we read of a guy in Luke chapter 19 called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is another tax collector and he has an encounter with Jesus. And we read about how his heart changes. We don't read that Zacchaeus stopped being a tax collector. We sometimes read that into the story, but it doesn't say that. But what we do see about Zacchaeus is it's a heart change. It isn't necessarily about stopping what you're doing, but it's about a heart change. And Zacchaeus says, I will give back to anyone I've robbed four times what I've taken, and I'm going to give half of what I've got, half of my wealth to the poor. See, there's something about when you become a follower of Jesus, there's a heart change. Actually, the money and stuff like that means less and less. Because he is everything to you. Has no hold on you anymore. And so followers of Jesus are generous and they give gladly and willingly. God wants you to be generous people. Over these years since I've been following Jesus, God has has dealt with the, the love of man. I still have battles with it, but God stirs me to be generous. God stirs me to do it. so whatever happens, whether it's an inheritance or whether it's money that I have the privilege of earning through the job that I do, I want to be a generous person. And Matthew was generous. He he throws a party. Zacchaeus was generous. Something happens, something changes. Jesus says of Zacchaeus, salvation had come to his house. Following Jesus is not something we do for an hour, a day, a week, or a month. It's for our lifetime and beyond. Every day is an adventure of faith. And as we respond to Jesus' invitation, he changes our hearts. So we can leave our old way of living behind. And followers of Jesus who've done that, they get baptised. That's why we baptise people it's easy to say you follow with Jesus, but baptism is a sign that you've left your old life behind. You associate with what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross and died for your wrongdoing, the Bible calls sin. He was associating with you. He was taking the punishment that was rightfully yours before God. And he died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb for three days. And three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And when you get baptized as a follower of Jesus, you are associating with Jesus. You are associating with dying to your old way of life. And when you come out of the water of baptism, you are associating with the fact that you are raised to new life in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. You are in Christ. That's why we baptize people. And I guarantee Matthew would have been baptised as a follower of Christ. Something worth everything. The third thing is this. It was something worth celebrating. Jesus' invitation resulted in Matthew. He invites Jesus for dinner. He wants to celebrate what has happened. In fact, Luke tells us he threw a great party. The word feast that... It's used uh, in the NIV. It's used only in one other place. And it's in the context of a banquet where many people are invited. It was at a huge cost. And Matthew was paying the tab. He threw a huge party at his own expense. He knew he had something to be thankful for. Listen to the words of the father of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son has gone away from home, but he's come back home and he's disheveled and broken and messed up. And the father is so thrilled to see his son, even though he's squandered his inheritance, the father's so delighted to have him home that he throws a party. And this is what the father said, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We had to celebrate. That's a picture of the gospel. God is so thrilled when we give our lives to Christ. It says there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, one person who turns to God, turns from his old way of life, turns to God. That could be you this morning. That could be you. God is thrilled. He wants people to come to know him. He sent Jesus to seek out and save the lost. That's what Luke chapter 19 tells us. The scale of our thankfulness demonstrates our appreciation of what God has done in our lives. Let me say that again. The scale of our thankfulness demonstrates the appreciation of what God has done in our lives. Is your life marked by thankfulness? Joy at what God's done for you? Wanting to celebrate the fact that you now are a child of God? Or has your thankfulness, your joy, just diminished over time? Paul challenged the Galatians. What has happened to all your joy? You see, rather than being thrilled, the religious leaders of the day were shocked that Jesus was spending time with Matthew and his friends. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was legitimizing godless lifestyles that were dishonoring to God. They were scandalized because Jesus was associating with Matthew. They were were outraged that Jesus was showing that he accepted these sinners instead of rejecting them. They didn't deserve it. And that's exactly The point jesus came from the father we're told full of grace and truth he came to us when we're undeserving when we've done nothing we've earned nothing he comes to us when we're in our lowest point and he rescues us he doesn't save us when we're on the up he saves us when we're rock bottom Jesus never makes moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. He never says, I'll love you if you do this. He loves you. He can't love you any more than he's demonstrated on the cross by dying for you. The Pharisees rejected Jesus. Matthew embraced him. The Pharisees stumbled over grace. Don't stumble over grace. Are there people that we write off as being beyond the pale? Are there people that walk through the door, would walk through a door on a Sunday that we would just turn our backs on or just turn away from? As soon as we start doing that, we're in trouble. J.C. Ryle puts it like this. It's a safe assumption that there's no grace in someone who cares nothing about the salvation of those around him. salvation is worth celebrating. Finally, salvation is worth sharing. There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with Jesus and Matthew. Matthew wanted those friends of his, those people who'd been his acquaintances through the years, who'd stuck with him when he was at the bottom of the food chain, he wanted those people to encounter Jesus. So he invites them into Jesus, his presence. He wanted them to encounter the grace of God just as he had. He knew he had something worth sharing. You see, unless we appreciate how bad we were in God's sight and how kind God has been to us in saving us, we won't treat what Jesus has done for us as good news. It really is astounding news. Just as Jesus invited him, Matthew invited people into his home who needed the grace of God. He knew as they came, they'd have the opportunity to encounter Jesus. Matthew made room for people. What about us? This is Making Room Sunday. Our challenge is to make room for people in your lives. Because you have amazing good... If you're a follower of Jesus, you have amazing good news. And actually, when people come into your presence or in your presence, they are in the presence of Jesus Christ because God's spirit dwells within us. We carry the aroma of Christ. That's what Paul says. And so when we make room for people, we're giving people the opportunity to encounter the grace of God through us. The New Testament is full of people doing this sort of thing. Andrew does it with his brother, Peter. Philip does it with Nathaniel listen to the words of a woman with a dubious lifestyle who encountered Jesus as she was going about her everyday business, in a moment everything changed, she received the grace of God, the slate was wiped clean she went back to her village to the people who knew everything about her lifestyle and she goes with an invitation, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did That's all she needed to do. All she needed to do was invite them to meet Jesus. Jesus does the rest. J.C. Ryle put it like this. No sins are too many or too bad to be forgiven. No heart is too worldly to be changed. He who called Matthew still lives. And is the same that he was all those years ago. With Christ, nothing is impossible. Impossible. As I finish this morning, there's an Old Testament story of the people of Israel. And by now, the nation's been divided into two, and there's a northern kingdom. And the capital of the northern kingdom is Samaria, and the people have are, are turned away from following God. They're not following God anymore. They were God's people, but... And God keeps speaking to them through his prophets, a prophet particularly called Elisha. And the nation's in turmoil. They're in trouble. They're so, the Aramean empires uh, have attacked them and they are surrounded the capital city. The Aramaean army is all around the capital city and they are starving. There's no way out, there's no food coming in. And so they're hungry. There's no food to eat. And it's a bleak, bleak moment. And, And there are four lepers. The story says there are four lepers. They're outside the city wall. These people are ostracised by society. They're outside the city walls. The Aramean army is all around, and actually, it's not a good thing to be attacked by the Aramean army. It's not going to be a good ending. They can't go into the people in the city don't want them because they've got leprosy. It's contagious, and so these four lepers are in a dilemma. And they say, if we go into the city, we die. If we stay where we are, we die. And if we go over to the Aramaeans, we could die. But better we go over to the Aramaeans. at least maybe they might give us some food. And if we, we die, we die. And so these four lepers, they, they start to... What they don't know is that Elisha has already prophesied that God's going to break through. He's going to show his grace and mercy to a totally undeserving people. And as these four lepers walk away, they walk to the Aramaean camp and the Aramaeans are gone. They've heard some news, they've fled. God's caused confusion. The Aramaean camp is empty and the, these four lepers go into well, for the first tent and there's food and they haven't eaten for so long. And they're starving so they, they gouge themselves some food and they take some of the gold and silver and they take it away and hide it. Then they go into another tent and they do the same. And then they come to their senses and this is what they say. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. Just let the weight of that sink in. We aren't sharing it. With anyone. This is a day of good news. We were like those people, surrounded, no hope, slowly dying. And God broke in in His mercy and came to us and rescued us and provided us with a way out. It's a day of good news. God wants us to be a people who share it with others